Welcome to Songs of Praise from 3ABN Australia Radio.
wonderful to wonderful to hear, bringing hope and cheer, hope and cheer. Oh, it's the lovely name of Jesus, evermore the same. Reaching higher, reaching higher far than the highest stars, highest stars, sweeter than the songs they sing in heaven. Let the world proclaim what a lovely name. Sinners clean, oh, by his power he cleansed the lepers, open blinded eyes, caused the dead to rise, what a lovely name, the name of Jesus. Reaching higher, reaching higher far than the highest stars, highest stars, sweeter than the songs they sing in heaven. Let the world proclaim what a lovely name, his name, oh yes, he. Of every race, shall be all this face. Oh, with him enter heaven's city, ever to proclaim what a lovely name. Oh, what a lovely name, the name of Jesus. Reaching higher, reaching higher far than the highest stars, highest stars, sweeter than the songs they sing in heaven. Let the world proclaim what a lovely world.
This is Songs of Praise, brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.
and it shall stand, it shall stand forever and ever. Amen and amen. The tempest may rage and its anger acclaim, yea, the wind and the torrents may roar. And the strong gates of hell may assail it in vain, still the kingdom shall stand evermore. It shall stand, it shall stand, it shall stand, it shall stand forever and ever and ever. It shall stand, it shall stand, it shall stand, it shall stand, it shall stand forever and ever. Amen. may now enter in. There's a welcome for all who will turn to the Lord, full salvation and pardon for sin. It shall stand, it shall stand, it shall stand, it shall stand forever and ever and ever. It shall stand, it shall stand, it shall stand, it shall stand, it shall stand forever and ever.
You're listening to Songs of Praise. Jesus is coming again 
Echo it hilltops, proclaim it ye plains, Jesus is coming again. Coming in glory, the Lamb that was slain, Jesus is coming again. Coming again, coming again, Jesus is coming again. of earth tell the vast wandering throng Jesus is coming again Tempests and whirlwinds the anthem prolong Jesus is coming again Lift up the trumpet and loud let it ring Jesus is coming again cheer up ye pilgrims be joyful and sing Jesus is coming again coming again coming again Jesus is coming again, oh, coming again, coming again, Jesus is coming again. blood and it cites the blood 
mind it heals the sick the lowly finds it has the power to free the bound as chains they fall upon the ground so pour it out and cleanse my soul and let this blood's glory flow because he lives to make me whole I owe my life I owe my all so I come to tell you he's alive to tell you that he So I come to tell you that he saves, to shout and to proclaim that he's coming back for you.
things in this world who are craving the pleasures earthly things afford but none can make the wondrous treasure that I find in Jesus Christ my So, my children, if the things this world gave you leave hungers that won't pass away, my Listening to 3ABN Australia Radio's Songs of Praise. I am a sinner, your blame. 
Listening to Songs of Praise, a production of Thread in Australia Radio. Welcome to Thread in Australia Radio's book reading program. The book Christ's Object Lessons, written by Ellen White, presents the parables of Jesus in a fresh light, showing their application to Christian living today. 
In this devotional classic, Ellen White explores the depths of the best-loved teachings of Jesus, offering a deeply spiritual understanding of the parables of Christ as they apply to our lives today. You'll enjoy the practical applications in a way that touches your heart. Listen now as Clive Nash reads. Continuing the chapter, The Sower Went Forth to Sow. The Word of God often comes in collision with man's hereditary and cultivated traits of character and his habits of life. But the good ground hearer, in receiving the Word, accepts all its conditions and requirements. His habits, customs and practices are brought into submission to God's Word. In his view, the commands of finite, erring man sink into insignificance beside the Word of the infinite God. With the whole heart, with undivided purpose, he is seeking the life eternal, and at the cost of loss, persecution, or death itself, he will obey the truth. And he brings forth fruit with patience. None who receive God's word are exempt from difficulty and trial. But when affliction comes, the true Christian does not become restless, distrustful, or despondent. Though he cannot see the definite outcome of affairs, or discern the purpose of God's providences, we are not to cast away our confidence. Remembering the tender mercies of the Lord, we should cast our care upon Him, and with patience wait for His salvation. Through conflict, the spiritual life is strengthened. Trials well borne will develop steadfastness of character and precious spiritual graces. The perfect fruit of faith, meekness and love often matures best amid storm clouds and darkness. The husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, until he receive the early and latter rain. James 5 verse 7 So the Christian is to wait with patience for the fruition in his life of the Word of God. Often when we pray for the graces of the Spirit, God works to answer our prayers by placing us in circumstances to develop these fruits. But we do not understand his purpose and wonder and are dismayed. Yet none can develop these graces except through the process of growth and fruit-bearing. Our part is to receive God's word and to hold it fast, yielding ourselves fully to its control, and its purpose in us will be accomplished. If a man love me, Christ said, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. John 14, verse 23. The spell of a stronger, a perfect mind will be over us, for we will have a living connection with the source of all enduring strength. In our divine life, we shall be brought into captivity to Jesus Christ. We shall no longer live the common life of selfishness, but Christ will live in us. His character will be reproduced in our character. Thus shall we bring forth the fruits of the Holy Spirit, some thirty, and some sixty, and some an hundred. First the blade, then the ear, based on Mark 4, verses 26 to 29. The parable of the sower excited much questioning. Some of the hearers gathered from it that Christ was not to establish an earthly kingdom, and many were curious and perplexed. Seeing their perplexity, Christ used other illustrations, still seeking to turn their thoughts from the hope of a worldly kingdom to the work of God's grace in the soul. And he said, So is the kingdom of God, 
as if a man should cast seed into the ground, and should sleep and rise night and day, and the seed should spring and grow up, he knoweth not how. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he putteth in the sickle, because the harvest is come. The husbandman who putteth in the sickle, because the harvest is come, can be no other than Christ. It is he who at the last great day will reap the harvest of the earth. But the sower of the seed represents those who labour in Christ's stead. The seed is said to spring and grow up, he knoweth not how. And this is not true of the Son of God. Christ does not sleep over his charge, but watches it day and night. He is not ignorant of how the seed grows. The parable of the seed reveals that God is at work in nature. The seed has in itself a germinating principle, a principle that God himself has implanted. Yet if left to itself, the seed would have no power to spring up. Man has his part to act in promoting the growth of the grain. He must prepare and enrich the soil and cast in the seed. He must till the fields. But there is a point beyond which he can accomplish nothing. No strength or wisdom of man can bring forth from the seed the living plant. Let man put forth his efforts to the utmost limit. He must still depend upon one who has connected the sowing and the reaping by wonderful links of his own omnipotent power. There is life in the seed. There is power in the soil. But unless an infinite power is exercised day and night, the seed will yield no returns. The showers of rain must be sent to give moisture to the thirsty fields. The sun must impart heat. Electricity must be conveyed to the buried seed. The life which the Creator has implanted, He alone can call forth. Every seed grows, every plant develops by the power of God. As the earth bringeth forth her bud, and as the garden causeth the things that are sown in it to spring forth, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth. Isaiah 61 verse 11 As in the natural, so in the spiritual sowing. The teacher of truth must seek to prepare the soil of the heart. He must sow the seed, but the power that alone can produce the life is from God. There is a point beyond which human effort is in vain. While we are to preach the word, we cannot impart the power that will quicken the soul and cause righteousness and praise to spring forth. In the preaching of the word, there must be the working of an agency beyond any human power. Only through the divine spirit will the word be living and powerful to renew the soul unto eternal life. This is what Christ tried to impress upon his disciples. He taught that it was nothing they possessed in themselves which would give success to their labors, but that it is the miracle-working power of God which gives efficiency to his own word. The work of the sower is a work of faith. The mystery of the germination and growth of the seed he cannot understand. But he has confidence in the agencies by which God causes vegetation to flourish. In casting his seed into the ground, he is apparently throwing away the precious grain that might furnish bread for his family. But he is only giving up a present good for a larger return. He casts the seed away, expecting to gather it manyfold in an abundant harvest. 
So Christ's servants are to labour, expecting a harvest from the seed they sow. The good seed may for a time lie unnoticed in a cold, selfish, worldly heart, giving no evidence that it has taken root. But afterward, as the Spirit of God breathes on the soul, the hidden seed springs up and at last bears fruit to the glory of God. In our life work, we know not which shall prosper, this or that. This is not a question for us to settle. We are to do our work and leave the results with God. In the morning sow thy seed, and in the evening withhold not thine hand. Ecclesiastes 11 verse 6. God's great covenant declares that while the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest shall not cease. Genesis 8 verse 22. In the confidence of this promise, the husbandman tills and sows. Not less confidently are we in the spiritual sowing to labor, trusting his assurance, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. Isaiah 55 verse 11. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Psalm 126 verse 6. The germination of the seed represents the beginning of spiritual life, and the development of the plant is a beautiful figure of Christian growth. As in nature, so in grace. There can be no life without growth. The plant must either grow or die. As its growth is silent and imperceptible, but continuous, so is the development of the Christian life. At every stage of development, our life may be perfect. Yet, if God's purpose for us is fulfilled, there will be continual advancement. Sanctification is the work of a lifetime. As our opportunities multiply, our experience will enlarge and our knowledge increase. We shall become strong to bear responsibility and our maturity will be in proportion to our privileges. The plant grows by receiving that which God has provided to sustain its life. It sends down its roots into the earth. It drinks in the sunshine, the dew and the rain. It receives the life-giving properties from the air. So the Christian is to grow by cooperating with the divine agencies. Feeling our helplessness, we are to improve all the opportunities granted us to gain a fuller experience. As the plant takes root in the soil, so we are to take deep root in Christ. As the plant receives the sunshine, the dew and the rain, we are to open our hearts to the Holy Spirit. The work is to be done not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Zechariah 4 verse 6. If we keep our minds stayed upon Christ, He will come unto us as the rain, as the latter and former rain unto the earth. Hosea 6 verse 3. As the Son of Righteousness, He will arise upon us with healing in His wings. Malachi 4 verse 2. We shall grow as the lily, we shall revive as the corn, and grow as the vine. Hosea 14 verses 5 and 7. By constantly relying upon Christ as our personal Saviour, we shall grow up into Him in all things who is our head. The wheat develops, first the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. The object of the husbandman 
in the sowing of the seed and the culture of the growing plant is the production of grain. He desires bread for the hungry and seed for future harvests. So the divine husbandman looks for a harvest as the reward of his labour and sacrifice. Christ is seeking to reproduce himself in the hearts of men, and he does this through those who believe in him. The object of the Christian life is fruit-bearing, the reproduction of Christ's character in the believer, that it may be reproduced in others. The plant does not germinate, grow, or bring forth fruit for itself, but to give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, Isaiah 55 verse 10. So no man is to live unto himself. The Christian is in the world as a representative of Christ for the salvation of other souls. There can be no growth or fruitfulness in the life that is centred in self. If you have accepted Christ as a personal saviour, you are to forget yourself and try to help others. Talk of the love of Christ. Tell of his goodness. Do every duty that presents itself. Carry the burden of souls upon your heart and by every means in your power seek to save the lost. As you receive the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of unselfish love and labour for others, you will grow and bring forth fruit. The graces of the Spirit will ripen in your character. Your faith will increase. Your convictions deepen. Your love be made perfect. More and more you will reflect the likeness of Christ in all that is pure, noble and lovely. Join us again next time as Clive Nash continues to read from the book Christ's Object Lessons, written by Ellen G. White. Enjoy the short presentation of how God led His people after the Reformation from lineagejourney.com. Paris Hill, Maine. Today a small and quiet town with leafy streets and well-kept houses. Yet despite its quiet and rural location, it was the home to some giants of the faith. Three families of note that lived here were the Stevens family, the Stowell family, and the Andrews family. J.N. Andrews was the son of Edward Andrews and the nephew of Charles Andrews, a state representative of Maine. Cyprian Stevens had two daughters, one of whom married Uriah Smith and the other married J.N. Andrews. Today, the home of Edward Andrews stands behind me as the Paris Hill Country Club and Cyprian Stevens Farm is located just down the road.
But we start the story with another family, when in the spring of 1845, a tract by T.M. Preble on the Sabbath made its way to the home of Lewis B. Stowell. He set the tract aside, but his 15-year-old daughter, Marion, picked it up and decided to read it. She was convinced on the truth of the Sabbath and decided to keep it. She then shared the tract with her brother Oswald, and he also decided to keep the Sabbath. They then called J.N. Andrews, who was only 15 years old, but was respected as having an intelligent mind. He read the tract and also decided to keep the Sabbath. It was later on that the parents of the Stevens, Andrews and Stowell families decided to keep the Sabbath, which I believe is a key point. It was the teenagers who made the decision to keep the Sabbath based on God's word, regardless of what others thought. This really is the essence of Protestantism and a continuation of one of the key tenets of the Reformation, to follow conviction rather than tradition, to let scriptures be our guide, no matter what others may think. Lewis B. Stowell sent a letter and $10 to the Seventh-day Baptist minister in Hopkinton, Rhode Island, to obtain some more materials. Soon the tracks arrived and a small company of Sabbath-keeping Adventists was established in Paris Hill, Maine. These families would go on to be pillars in the new and fledgling movement that was being birthed. Paris Hill, Maine is also the birthplace of the Review and Herald, today published as the Adventist Review. From August to November of 1850, a magazine was published here called the Advent Review. And then from November 1850 to June 1851, the Review and Herald was published here in a building near this site. It would then move on to Saratoga Springs, New York, Rochester, New York, before moving to Battle Creek, Michigan. In 1856, the Stevens and Andrews families would move to the state of Iowa, and the town of Paris Hill, Maine, would become just a memory of the early beginnings and challenges of Sabbatarian Adventism. Though the action had moved on from this town, their example of faithfulness under conviction lives on today and stands as an example of how we ought to live our lives. It doesn't matter who else makes a decision or what authority is trying to instruct and guide us. We need to be true to the convictions of our conscience first and foremost. It was Peter who said that we ought to obey God rather than man. To view more episodes in the series, visit lineagejourney.com.